Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the movie and music show. Uh, so we have only three of us here today. What happened to the fourth member? Uh, she, yeah, look, I, Just <laughs> there's us, been I a, there, there's been some disagreements between the four. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, she's yeah, got, so yeah, she five got five. No, there's only three of us. So there's only three of us. Off. Who she's knows what happened? She no, voluntarily no. resigned. No, we're just kidding. Yeah. Um, no, now, Lucy, she's just away for this yeah, week. Lucy's away this week. So there's just the three of us. Um, and what are we talking about this? Oh, wait, let's start off with um, what have we seen this week? What movies have we seen this week? Oh, did you start off well, recently? I watched quite a few movies, I think. I've been on this Louis Bunuel binge. Yeah, all the surrealism and all of that. Ah, yeah, surrealism. It's beautiful. Could you say I it's surreal? It is very surreal. Whoa, I yeah. wonder. <laughs> I watched The Exterminating Angel and I watched The Phantom of Liberty. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty good. What about you, David? What do you watch? Over this week, I actually got into a Woody Allen sort of craze. I got into him. Not necessarily because I like who he is as a person, but I just Good. thought I'd get, <laughs> <Correct> in, <answer. laughs> get into like his films and like what he did because in the end he is one of the He best. is a renowned filmmaker. He's a yeah. renowned filmmaker, yeah. especially in, within comedy. And I just, mm. I love New York and I wanted to just see that neurotic, um, this way in which he creates... Did you say movie. erotic or no, neurotic? No, neurotic. Okay. Neurotic. <laughs> neurotic. And it, it was an amazing experience. I watched Annie Hall. I watched Manhattan. I watched Midnight in um, in Paris. I should have watched more, but I didn't have the time. Yeah. I also watched um, Hello High Water yesterday. Oh yes, gorgeous, gorgeous film, gorgeous, gorgeous soundtrack. Yep. So well put together. The ending, you will never forget it. But yeah, that that was my week of uh, film debauchery, I guess you could say. And uh, how about you, Jasmine? What you been up to? Speaking of, um, this is a very, very bad segue but Annie Hall because Diane Keaton is primary character in that I've been watching The Young Pope which yeah. she's in how are you finding it um, I am up to episode 9 so I've seen up to episode 8 it's very strange very yeah. surreal really pretty like just oh, Rome in general is that's just that's what beautiful. Paolo Sorrentino is there for yeah like, like the setting is beautiful but also his filmmaking and the way he uses colours and cinematography oh it's so pretty and I'm going to Italy next year so I can't oh, wait to go so hit good. up all the you know filming locations and yeah, that and wow. also the filming locations to call me by your name I'm going to do all that I'm going to take all the photos I'm going to reenact like you know I'm Chalamet. so jealous I'm you so should jealous. be I'm going to I'm going to go like have my own Tara Love it. No, that's yes. never going to happen. <laughs> um, but I've also seen this week Black Swan. I actually watched it last night. Well, it was actually for this for this podcast since we're talking about um, Black Swan and Whiplash uh, as part of the theme of the tortured, obsessed artist. Um, so, yeah, we may as well just start off with Black Swan now. I would say that Frank Ocean is my favorite music artist. He hasn't put out any albums in a long time, but yeah, he's still my working. favorite. <laughs> he's still my favorite. And uh, one of my favorite songs of his is Sacred. Prince Sacred is one of the main characters uh, in Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. It's uh, what inspired the Black Swan movie. It's a, uh, it's a story about Prince Sacred. Oh, it's a story about the white swan, the swan princess. Yeah, getting he's into just it. A Secondary character. Who cares about Secondary it? character. No. <laughs> yeah, it's about sacred. It's about sacred. Totally. Yeah. Who cares uh, about women here? <laughs> <laughs> 
for legal reasons. Just kidding. That's a joke. Just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> um, so Prince Siegfried. Yeah, what is uh, one like about? Yeah, Prince Siegfried uh, is celebrating his twenty-first birthday, and he gets a crossbow as a gift from his friends, and he's celebrating. And his mom comes up to him, and she's like, "Oh no, you're twenty-one. You have to marry now." And he's like, "Uh, what? I don't want to marry." And uh, his friends are like, "Okay." We're gonna cheer you up, and they take him out hunting. He goes hunting, and um, he comes across this beautiful swan, and um, he asks his friends to go away because he needs some alone time with the swan, which That's is weird suspicious. when you come to think about it. Yeah. You avoided uh, that very bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He needs some alone time with his special friend. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's how it is. The swan transforms into a beautiful woman, and uh, she says that her name is Odette, uh, the Swan Queen, uh, and um, she, she told him that um, she was cursed by the evil sorcerer Rodpart, she and many others uh, into becoming a swan, and uh, she becomes a woman during the night, and she's a swan by the day. Something oh my like God, that's like in Shrek, but the opposite. <laughs> Princess Fiona. <laughs> that just occurred to me. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so... But it's like true love. She needs true love to, yeah, she, uh, you know, break the spell or whatever. Yeah, as with kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of similar themes. Uh, anyways, uh, he, uh, he falls in love immediately. He mm, goes back home course. and his uh, mom has set up a whole formal celebration thing for his birthday and uh, asks him to dance with all these ladies and he dances with them and she's like, have you decided whom you're picking to marry? And uh, okay, well, <laughs> that was quick. Yeah, right. And she's like, uh, he's like, no. And then uh, he sees this uh, woman uh, who looks exactly like Odette, but this one is Odell, uh, who the is the daughter of uh, Rothbart. Yeah, she's evil. She's evil and she- She's the proverbial black swan. She's the proverbial black swan, indeed. And uh, so she looks just like him and he gets confused looks and asks like her to her. marry him. She doesn't look like him, whoa. <laughs> and uh, uh, he asks uh, her to ma- marry him. Odette sees this, uh, she's distressed, she runs away. Uh, the prince goes after her and uh, Rothbart follows him and the prince and Odette are like, oh, okay, uh, we're not falling into your trap again. Uh, and they just jump off a cliff and that breaks the curse. All the swans transform into women and they kill Rothbart. Oh, so yeah, that's Lovely. basically Swan Lake. Yeah. What a happy ending. Definitely a kid-friendly movie, which is what they did. The first time I ever heard of this story was the Barbie movies. Yeah. <laughs> because, I don't know, I was like five and I was like, yeah, Barbie, I liked it back then. Yeah. So yeah, but that was, that was like my first exposure to Swan Lake. But um, so the film we're talking about, Black Swan, it's based on like, um, or it's, it chronicles the... Um, Quest of a ballerina, played by the very, very amazing Natalie Portman, mm. um, and she's trying. She's like auditioning um, and trying to earn the part of the White Swan or the the, the Swan Queen, and she has to um, embody the two, uh, the dual roles, so the White Swan and the Black Swan. And basically, she's the perfect White Swan, pure, sweet, you know, very um, delicate and fragile, and and that shows through her very controlled dancing. But um, she has to really work at embodying the black swan as well and that's more about letting loose and being seductive and stuff like that and so um her sort of how would you say like her journey into embodying both sides is reflected in her own self um because she has been you know raised to be like mommy's little girl and stuff like that and like um it's quite disturbing in a way like her room is it looks like the room of a 10 year old girl and She's 28. The character's 28. So she still lives at home with her mom. She's still being babied around. She still acts like she's, you know, a little girl. Um, but this sort of 
this this event in her life really um, is the impetus of her, um, you know, transition transitioning from child to woman. You could say. Yeah, yeah sure. And then I guess what we're also going to be discussing today is and paralleling with it is the journey of another character in the form of Whiplash, a film directed by Damien Chazelle. And basically the journey of a young drummer as he makes his way in the jazz uh, musician scene, just moving his way slowly further and further until, similar to in um, Black Swan, he just almost just self-destructs. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that in Black Swan. (laughs) Uh, We'll come to it, trust me. Um, Self-destructs. And I feel like both of them like go through very similar themes with the whole mm-hmm. self-destruction and um, devoting yourself to like an art form and devoting yourself to something that like just leads to you and losing, like letting it consume you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like it takes your sanity. Um, yeah. And like your mental and your physical health and everything, because in both movies, both characters, like they undergo some sort of physical distress. Like I think Nina, she's got the rash on her back, yeah. and um, she like. She stabs herself near the... Oh, spoiler alert, by the way. Spoilers <laughs> for all the movies we're talking about. But Good she stabs one. herself... Good yeah, bit little, too little too late. Um, but she... Yeah, because she's, like, going literally crazy. She's seeing parallels of herself in mirrors. It's quite scary imagery. Like, I watched this movie last night, and I couldn't finish it. I had to finish watching it this morning, like, on the bus to uni, because I was too scared to watch yeah. it <laughs> at night. Because because um, my room has, like... Um, one of the walls is, like, a mirror, and I was so scared that I was going to look in the mirror and, like... There was going to be another see, one of you. Yeah, like, and not, oh, like me moving, like, not... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was scared to, like, see, like, a parallel version of me because that would be so terrifying. Um, but, yeah, so Nina ends up, like, stabbing her, her parallel self um, because she thinks it's one of her rivals, although there's kind of debate as to whether that uh, Mila Kunis' character's rival. Do you think that she's trying to steal the role or do you think it's just out of like all in her head i don't think she's necessarily trying to steal the role i felt more that she was just trying to be the best ballerina she could be yeah. i don't think there was necessarily any malice towards yeah. natalie portman's character as a person but i think it was more that she was just she was better for the for role the black swan. and the then black swan role, yeah. natalie portman just couldn't accept it mm-hmm. and it just led to her becoming self-destructive which is one thing that like I feel both movies do very well in both movies almost like parallel each other in is the way in which they use close-ups to yeah. just um, in their own different ways. So in Black Swan, they use close-ups and all of that more to um, exhibit the personal struggle of um, her character, Natalie Portman's character, in the way that she's struggling with who she is and who she wants to become and so forth. They have the close-ups of her face where she looks like she's just... Um, mortified almost with what she's become and then you contrast that with the close-ups um, in uh, Whiplash where there's the close-ups between um, the two characters um, with Miles Teller's character and um, his instructor just being right next to each other and you see that conflict like on full display and because mm-hmm. of the close-ups you almost it's claustrophobic and you're just forced to feel the emotions with them. Yeah, it doesn't like really, really adopt the character's perspective. Exactly, it like doesn't give you any anything. space or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, along with the uh, close-ups that you mentioned, another interesting point of Black Swan is the use of mirrors mm. and mirror scenes to show some kind of dichotomy. And I think uh, another point we have to mention is... Uh, something philosophical. Uh, so it's basically uh, Apollonian and uh, Dionysian 
philosophical dichotomy. Mm. It was uh, suggested by a lot of philosophers. And so basically what it means is Apollonian means someone who is controlled, ordered. So someone like White Swan. And uh, Dionysiac, Dionysiac. Oh, uh, Dionysus. Dionysus. It? Uh, yeah, it's in, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's from Greek. Yeah. So or right? yeah. So yeah. Uh, so that involves uh, being ecstatic, chaotic. So that's the black swan. And so these mirror scenes, it shows the dichotomy in her uh, in mm, her character, yeah. how she's struggling to become the woman she wants to be, the black swan that she should be, in order to encapsulate the character that she wants to play for the ballet. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. There's also another, um, there was like theories online about um, how her uh, journey to be the perfect ballerina sort of mirrors Icarus, like flying too close to the sun mm, in sure. order like to fly high and achieve perfection or whatever. But, you know, if you go too far, you'll get burnt. And yeah, that, that happens to, to Nina. And also I think um, Miles Teller's character yeah, in Flash because he like completely loses it he just keeps practicing and practicing until his hands bleed and mm. it's just so like well i mean does it matter that much like yeah, yeah it's i, I mean evidently it does to them but yeah yeah and i think that's like another thing that both movies kind of parallel is the way in which they show how each character literally destroys themselves so we have um uh, natalie portman's character how her feet literally like start to destroy themselves i think yeah, like, like they start to web up like a yeah, swan yeah um, and like there's a whole body um, dysphoria where, she, like, her body just changes to almost suit what she wants to become. And yeah, yeah. It, but despite that, her actual body is being destroyed and being manipulated. And then we have Miles where he drums so hard that his hands start to bleed. And it's just um, both, like, films take this sense of, like, ignoring physical pain, ignoring almost and emotional pain mm, yeah. to achieve what you want to... Do and I feel like both of them kind of come down to this, um, I guess the necessity to recognize that. And again, it comes down to the Icarus that, like, when you fly too close to the sun, you're gonna get burned. And in both cases, they take this burning in a physical way, but also in a almost emotional way with how they interact with their parents. Mm, like um, yeah. um, Miles's character he starts to like ignore his family and be almost rude to his family. He cuts off relationships that he went for that almost like made him better and yeah, yeah. came from the confidence that he got from his drumming and so forth. But he cuts all of that off. And then um, with uh, Natalie Portman's character, she cuts off her relationship with her mother because she just wants to focus on what she wants to become and so forth. To be fair, though, the mother is low-key, like, smothering... And um, abusive? Yeah, extent, yeah, like, there's theories yeah. online that, you know, the mother was sexually abusive as well, but definitely, like, abusive in the way that she doesn't let her... She lets, she treats her daughter like she's a child, where she's actually <laughs> exactly. almost 30. Yeah. Um, and she's... And I think that her room is uh, like a Barbie doll, yeah, yeah house or something. Yeah, like pretty there are a lot of tiny pink, dolls and toys, music boxes, music and, boxes, yeah. and a lot of like, you know, the mother's sitting there petting her and you know helping her undress and stuff like that. That does not not in that way, possibly in that way actually. But yeah, just like really babying her around like she's an incapable child, and so it's kind of like no wonder Natalie Portman's character wants to rebel so much because she's never had that freedom and when she gets that first taste of freedom um, when she goes out with Lily it's like you know whoa it's it feels really good and also that's like what the black swan is meant to embody that feeling of freedom and like seductiveness and stuff like that so yeah it's a pretty interesting parallel between like the ballet and then 
the movie, like Nina's own personal journey. Yeah. Also, uh, I think uh, Nina's character it holds. Uh, it's very shadowy in a sense that uh, there's a lot of repressed emotions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sexual emotions and otherwise, and another psych philosopher, psychoanalyst Carl Jung. He uh, he he quoted. I, I'm quoting him now. He said. Uh, Everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious self, uh, the blacker and denser it is. That I definitely agree with. Yeah, yeah. you can definitely see it within the movie. Like, I feel like that's kind of where the movies delineate themselves. Because mm, you almost yeah. Miles comes to that recognition and comes to that point where he's like, "Okay, this is how I need to change. This is how I need to become a better person." And with that final performance, he kind of from taking a break, he recognizes who he is as a person. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, and I think that allows him to succeed. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Like at the very end of the movie, where he's drumming and he gets up to the speed that, um, yeah, the Latin double speed wants. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's different in Black Swan because I don't think she ever comes to that realization. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I have something to oppose that. Uh, so basically, uh, the screenwriters they said that. Uh, he made the wrong choice in Whiplash. Wait, in the screenwriter of which movie? Uh, Whiplash. Oh, okay. So he basically made the wrong choice. And it can oh. be seen uh, from the face of his uh, father. He's almost disappointed yeah, and devastated yeah. because he's falling into the traps of this of really abusive, abusive mentor. Mm. Yeah. And this is not going to lead him down a happy path. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's already mentions of what happens to people uh, who deal with this kind of stress. It's not always happy. He's going to... Mm. So you could say that it's kind yeah. of like a relapse at yeah. the end of Whiplash, whereas Probably. Black Swan, I mean, Nina never really recognizes that it's been too much. She just keeps going and going until the movie climaxes, and then she falls to her death, and she's like, I was perfect, I felt it. And I'm like, yeah, but also, Gosh. And Natalie Portman <laughs> was almost perfect in this movie. I think this is her second she best performance. Her second best performance. Oh, her first her best? Her best performance was uh, when she kept a straight face while Hayden Christensen said that... Uh, <laughs> I hate sand. I hate it sand. G- it gets it's, everywhere. It's coarse and rough, and it in the gets classic uh, Star Wars uh, Which prequel. One, was it? Uh, one of the prequel I think it was ones. the uh, second one. They second all second work prequel. together. Yeah, they were really. To be fair, though, one of her best performances was when she was like her youngest in uh, Leon the Leon Professional. The Professional. Oh, I that was seen just. Leon. Oh, you should I need to watch, watch it. it. It's yeah. gorgeous. Such yeah. an amazing film. Jean Reno, mm. so good, so good. But um, coming back to Black Swan. Yeah. Um. And like how it differs from um, the previously mentioned Whiplash, it definitely like would make a lot more sense that like both films would want to go to the point where both characters almost destroy themselves completely, and they t- both take their own kinds of um, roots with it. Like one of them sticks to realism, and one of them surges for realism, surrealism. Sorry, in um, the in Black Swan, like. Um, Darren Aronofsky, who's, I guess, rather well-known for surrealism with, like, his different films. Uh, it's it, not really surrealism. I think it's just... Uh, absurdism? Not really. Not, I think like, it's just I don't meant to reflect, like, the yeah, character's mental state. Yeah, yeah. it's just c- some kind of fantasy. Yeah, like you said, exactly. It's just meant yeah. to uh, reflect the character's yeah. mental state. I think uh, he's shown that in every single one of his movies so yeah. far. In Pi, uh, you got the mathematician who thinks that uh, he... Uh, 
Pi, yeah, so. Pi. Not Pi, really. He wants to find the meaning of the universe through numbers, and he just gets obsessed with it. And uh, Aronofsky makes use of brilliant sound design for that. He makes use of these screeching sound effects, which is ex- extremely nauseating, to be honest. Yeah. Even as us audience, yeah. I mean, we can feel his pain. And again, yeah. with Requiem for a Dream, uh, he's obsessed with drugs, and he's almost showing us a. what he's going through mm. yeah. Jared Leto's character and yeah. his mom's character I don't, yeah, I don't I remember so. who played his mom it was a brilliant oh uh, brilliant performance but yeah. yeah I can't remember but yeah that's something that he also does in um in Black Swan especially um when she, I think she finds out what her role is going to be yeah uh, you just hear like the crescendo the wings flapping the, uh, the flapping of the wings yeah, I thought that was amazing yeah and the flapping of the th- wings uh it progressively gets louder as yeah. the movie goes yeah. on and on yeah and it's really like stifling like I don't know. I feel like the music in general, like the use of such dramatic orchestral music. Yeah, it's from Swan Lake, but it also adds to the movie itself because it's like overwhelming and consuming the movie, like the movie's sound design like Swan Lake. This production is consuming her life. I think that's a really good like yeah, parallel. But also I just really like the the ballet music. It's really pretty. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, the ballet music is gorgeous and I guess like what I guess I was saying with the surrealism was more the surrealist imagery I guess you could say in the Over way the and yeah in the way mm, that she yeah. transforms into her character and that is how you guys were saying an expression of like her mentality whereas I feel like in we plus it's a lot more grounded in realism yeah for sure um, and I guess that's something that you also get from um the original um short film that was made for it before it was made into the this feature film is that like it is grounded in realism and it does stick to its guns and instead of trying to go too out there it become too stylized similar to Aronofsky um in the way that it's shot it's keeps this like gritty documentary kind of style and yeah, yeah. it doesn't really waver from that mm. but like um and i guess paralleling that would be the performances in the antagonists of both films with Vincent Cassel and Mila Kunis in a way and I don't um, believe that Mila Kunis is a villain. I think it I was think just the main villain is her mom. Uh, the the antagonist uh it's probably uh, her mom. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess if you were to become like philosophical and go into like the um Freudian um terms like <laughs> I mean, oh there's like the, the Freudian the thing, ego. but you keep seeing Natalie Portman trying to escape her mom's clutches. Her throwing away her toys, her trying to get away from her mom, trying to go out with Mila Kunis for the party, disobey, uh, disobeying her, telling her that uh, she's better than her, uh, that she's a swan queen, and uh, her mom was just a corpse. That's just yeah. like the usual ballerina. Yeah. People. Yeah. But I guess like that's what I guess maybe almost comes down to is like the mom's like projecting her own. wishes on to yeah, yeah, she wanted to be a prima ballerina yeah, um but she didn't make it so she's living vicariously through her daughter through, yeah but i don't know i think like i think that nina is like her own worst enemy because she was the one that wanted to strive for perfection so much and even though she's mistreated by her mom she's mistreated by um Vincent Cassel's character he like sexually assaults her and then acts surprised yeah. when she bites him like bitch i wonder why <laughs> um <laughs> anyway and also lily milakunis's character um I think I don't I don't think she's as malicious as the mm. other two. I think she was genuinely just, you know, she just wanted to be a really good ballet dancer and of course everyone wants the part because it's a highly sought after part. Um but the whole thing about taking drugs and stuff, I was a bit like, ooh, 
bit risky, yeah. you know. But I think it had. I think she had good intentions. I don't think she ever wanted to to steal the part. I think it was just all in Nina's head that yeah. you know she was out to get her. Yeah, and again, like with how they shot the film, it does mainly revolve around Natalie Portman. He never really Aronofsky never really take creates a judgment surrounding. Yeah. Mila Kunis's character, she's always played off as secondary, and that's like what the role almost is. It's, it is just about Natalie Portman's character, and it is just about her trying to be the best. So I feel like if they would have made it too antagonistic, or if they would have made Vincent Cassell's character or Mila Kunis's character any bigger, I think it would have also removed from the story almost. Yeah, like, I yeah, feel I like definitely agree. In the end, as was mentioned before, the biggest um, enemies in both well, may to their own extent, in both films, was themselves. Um, themselves, themselves. Like, they're both complicit in, you know, their downfall, I suppose. Another point yeah. to add about Black Swan, um, you keep seeing in earlier shots of the movies, Mila Kunis' character appears in scenes, but she's not really in focus. And uh, you also see that Aronofsky uh, kind of projects Natalie Portman's face on top of Mila Kunis' face so that yeah, they kind of yeah. look the same. But yeah. different. Yeah, like there's yeah, a part so where she's practicing yeah. by herself, and then a shadowy figure comes up, and sh- it's it's Natalie Portman at first, but then it's actually Mila Kunis, yeah. and it's like, um, I think it's it's something to do with like, you know, she thinks that her greatest enemy is like she thinks Lily is the greatest enemy, but her greatest enemy is actually herself and mm-hmm. her competitiveness. Um, but it was it was good. It was freaky. Like that movie scared me, <laughs> but oh, it's so sure. good. <laughs> yeah, it is good. But you know what is not good? Whiplash. I really dislike that movie. Okay. What? Yeah. Really? I mean, for various reasons. Uh, I think... Uh, what, you, what would you say is, like, the biggest um, flaw that it like has? It? The biggest flaw it has is uh, how it portrays jazz musicians. I think a lot of jazz musicians hate the movie because they yeah, believe that uh, jazz music is misrepresented. Mm. Also, regarding the whole uh, thing about... Uh, wait, I got it somewhere here. Uh, yeah, uh, the main problem they have is the fact that uh, he's influenced by Buddy Rich, and apparently, uh, even though Buddy Rich is a big name drummer, he's not someone who influenced jazz music per se. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay. um, it speaks to uh, Damien uh kind of nervous representation, understanding of jazz music. Also, the whole the whole truck hitting his car thing and him walking out and going to play the set it it, it's just very cringy i think it was meant to like symbolize his he's so far removed from reality he's like i'm gonna play this set no matter what i don't care if i literally get hit by a truck i'm still gonna make it i think that was what that was meant. i mean that might have been the intention but it just came off very cliched almost because i feel like yeah to be fair whenever you see I feel like whenever I see that in movies now where like a character's driving or something and then a car just crashes into them and they always have that slow motion shot of oh, someone yeah, being in a car and, and then they're tossed around and the glass is flying. Exactly. Yeah. Like they had it with, they also had it with um I think it was Creed Two and when I saw it I was just like This again. And, yeah, and they just yeah. used it as a plot device. They were just like, Oh, and that's why we realized that he couldn't hear out of his left ear and stuff and I was like, But why did that have to happen? Like I feel like I guess maybe what your problem is with the film is that they could have done it in a much more articulate way and more nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, what's like, okay, so these two movies are very similar. What do you like about Black Swan that you think didn't quite work in Whiplash? Or do you just like like nitpicking sort of the things I'm not in nitpicking. Like? I just because enjoyed apparently Black Swan is kind of unrealistic when it comes to portraying the dance world. Like I wouldn't know because I'm not a dancer. But, but the thing is, uh, the difference between Whiplash and Black Swan is Black Swan doesn't really focus on the ballet as such. It focuses on Nina's character, oh, her character development, yeah, and how she's changing within herself mm. while she, uh, her role as a uh, Black Swan is maturing as well uh, whereas in case of Whiplash it is focusing on the entirely music, on the music entirely right? on the music mm-hmm. and not really on the character yeah, so okay. so it's very different for me so uh, so it makes sense for Whiplash to remain realistic while Black Swan is not restricted on that ground so uh, you expect Whiplash to be more realistic have more realistic plot devices and uh, you expect the characters to behave normally in a way i guess <laughs> My yeah my question is where did that folder go you know how he like he loses his folder and that's the thing that makes him drive back home that's my question he forgets his he forgets his go? drumsticks like that's 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 like, like how the could you, uh, oh to be fair i've done that before <laughs> yeah. like forgotten an instrument and yeah have it all go wrong i don't know it just felt um, uh, it's yeah it's surprisingly common um but yeah it is kind of like I guess in a movie it would come off as kind of unrealistic because it's like this is what makes you money this is like a huge facet of your identity that's how much it's a part of you how could you forget but mm. i mean i don't know maybe it's testament to how like disturbed he is that he forgets little little things like his drumsticks i mean uh, okay yeah. the drumsticks i can let it slide but the, tr- the truck hitting him and him just walking it off it was just <sighs> I hate it when I know. stuff like he, he that happens like, in movies. Just walk it off. Just walk it off. Yeah, just walk it off. I don't know. But another the thing about forgetting the music, you know, real musicians should memorize their music anyway. Like they should have practiced yeah. enough in order to just know the music. Like I played because I've yeah I played music in high school, and they always said like you know the music is there but you shouldn't rely on it because especially if you're playing in an ensemble you got to look at the conductor and stuff. You can't be looking note for note at your music yeah, that's a shade. Yeah. but yeah anyway that's just a bit of music technicality <laughs> just flexing my music knowledge um, but yeah um, do we have anything else to say about those those films yeah again uh, Whiplash like I said it shows off his novice knowledge about jazz about music jazz. and it kind of reflects again in La La Land oh mm. really yeah no. but, uh, I haven't seen it I saw Moonlight it's, instead it's, he's uh, <laughs> better choice the real best picture winner yeah yeah <laughs> He's trying to uh, remake those musical kind of vibe, uh, but then it's just very cliched. Mm. He brings nothing new to it. Oh, okay. And I don't know. Well, I guess maybe that's just a reflection on the director. Like, I don't know Damien Chazelle. No, but I, I think he's well. still a good director because I watched The First Man. Yeah, oh, okay. And yeah. I really liked it. I liked the way he made it. He focused on the character of Neil Armstrong. I liked how the whole the sound design when he was in the space shuttle going towards the moon everything was about it was brilliant i think i think yeah, yeah. i think uh, the other two movies he was young this was his first movie so yeah mm. i guess talking about um black swan amazing darren aronofsky film gorgeous beautifully shot and i guess another gorgeous and beautifully shot darren aronofsky film is uh, the wrestler 
Are you guys fans of wrestling? Do you watch wrestling as a kid? No, my parents thought it was like too gory and too violent, so I never got into it as a kid or now. Oh. Honestly, sport in general, I am um, I get very bored. Too. Yes. Oh, <laughs> what about a, you guys? Oh, I used to be a huge, huge WWE fan when oh, I was a kid. Really? I used to watch every every SmackDown and Raw episode. I used to love Shawn Michaels. I used yeah. to love Rey Mysterio. Stone Cold. Stone Cold. Yeah. The Rock. That was uh, pretty I much I have it. no idea what you guys are talking about. Oh, it's I art. It is art. art. Oh, and there's a debate about wrestling being the lowest form of art. Uh, this is a good segue, And ballet actually. being and the highest, being the form, highest of form of art. Um, yeah, which is... Because they're both, both films, The Wrestler and Black Swan, both directed by Darren uh, Aronofsky. Um, and they portray very different worlds, but they're quite similar. How are they similar? Ah, I'll tell you how they are similar. So Aronofsky, he wanted to make a movie where a wrestler falls in love with a ballet dancer. And in between, uh, his ideas just diverged down the lane. Yeah, and he just ended up movies. making two different movies. Yeah. So yeah. That would uh, an interesting story. Yeah. But I think what we ended up with was also top-notch. Was two very well-produced, very well-directed films. Yeah. Two films that, in my opinion, almost got snubbed. Because I felt like... The Wrestler is one of the best films of oh, that year. Yeah. And one of the best films of M- Mickey Rourke's career. It was one of the best acting performances as well. Oh, and, it was uh, I think so it was gorgeous. Sean Penn who won for Milk. That was... I was just devastated. I, yeah, that I was, that was just Oscar bait. It was Oscar bait. And they oh, we all know the Oscars are rigged. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Just look at last year. Like, oh, I know. Oh, my God. Oh, my Rainbow. God. Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. Ah, Black Panther. Trash. Um, <laughs> but I guess besides that, back to The Wrestler. Um, just such a gorgeously made movie and really does almost mirror, again, those two plot lines that we spoke about where a person so dedicated to becoming the best in their craft almost forgets who they are as a person. And, and ultimately, their relationships, and yeah. in order just to pursue that one career-related goal. I think the key difference between Black Swan and the wrestler is Black Swan is uh, is about the starting of a career. Mm-hmm. She's getting yeah. into it. Yeah, the getting wrestler, into the prime of the, career. Yeah, yeah, it's like the. It's like the sunset of his yeah, sunset. Career. Yeah, so he's fallen from grace. Uh, pretty much like his real life, right? Make yeah. it look, uh, reflecting his real life. Yeah. Uh, so David, is it another movie which has a character who, uh, whose actor is kind of reflecting his own life? I'm glad you are, Sandy. Yeah. And, oh, we uh, talking about Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Actually, we kind of are um, in the way that uh, Michael Caden's character in Birdman um, just almost reflects the way in which his career went down a certain path. And yeah, because it's like he's in the in the movie, he's famous for playing a superhero, and then Michael Keaton is famous for playing Batman. Honestly, uh-huh. what else has he been in? I can't think of anything. And then to a certain extent, yeah. the same thing happened with Mickey Rook, because like mm, he yeah. started off as an actor, but then he went into boxing and all of that. Just oh, basically, okay. I think... Yeah, he, he like, got typecast for a while as well. He was playing the big bad guy in quite a few movies, I think. And then I feel like this was almost like a reflection on... Almost, he, I think he had drug problems, right? He yeah, yeah, to yeah. rehab a couple of times, similar to the uh, character in the movie, yeah. um, the Ram. Uh, he faces a uh, serious steroidish overuse. Uh, I mean, he has to take steroids in order to make sure that he's fit for the matches Maintain because he's like appearance. in his mid forties by now. Yeah. And uh, what happens is he uses the steroids way too much that uh, he has a heart attack, oh, and wow. his doctor tells him, 
uh, okay uh, so you're not supposed to do any physical activities that cause any stress and he's like uh, but uh, but i want to I, uh, but i wrestle what are we supposed <laughs> yeah. to do now yeah and uh, it just goes on from there into a very tragic ending uh make it rogue character has it has it got that surrealist sort of vibe like no it is very realistic. very realistic this one is uh, grounded so in reality okay. i mean and it's very heartfelt and it's very tragic and yeah. it makes you want to cry Aww. the ending oh uh, for sure and yeah. especially like oh i don't even know whether like to describe it or not i mean like i'm not sure if it really i don't feel like it's a spoiler kind of movie because you kind of see wh- where it's going yeah but like just the way in which everybody interacts with Mickey Rourke's character it's almost like they're recognizing the route that he wants to go on and they don't necessarily idolize it they mm-hmm. they indirectly criticize him i guess you could say it's the same as when um in Whiplash to bring it up again even though we don't want to um in Whiplash when he finishes when they finish the act and then there's the drum set and then it goes and it stops but like um the character just keeps drumming and then everybody just like kind of claps but do- doesn't really want to clap it's kind of like that like everybody supports him and they want him to do well but they recognize that like it's not good for him and it was just so heartbreaking seeing all of his friends and family just surround he him he doesn't at that really moment. have friends i think that's one of the key points he doesn't have a family he doesn't have people who love him yeah. which is what drives him back into the ring again oh, and yeah. again despite the fact that he has a serious heart problem uh and the fact is that people idolize the ring version of him and forget that there's a person behind the in-ring persona, behind that persona yeah. and uh that can be quite uh it's damaging yeah, like it it's, be quite it's damaging, sad because yeah. it's like people forget that you're a person outside of you know how you how you act outside of your wrestling sort of career and i think it's again reflected in birdman as well because when uh people come up to michael keaton's character they keep talking to him about uh His, what he used to be what yeah. he used to be his birdman movies and why he didn't want to do it and uh the difference is that michael keaton wants to get away from it uh he wants fame and he wants reverence but the thing is he feels that a uh, big blockbuster flicks are not the proper way to gain respect he wants to do theater because it fe- it's more high art uh it's more high <laughs> art but uh, no yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i think that like what alejandro Alejandro um Inurito does very well with what you were talking about is whenever he comes up to people because I'm pretty sure the entire film revolves around like a cu- two or three very well cut together just long takes where yeah. it just seems like the movie is ongoing and in the making it seem ongoing and without cutting it and just keeping it in that one night by seeing what happens within that one night you kind of realize just how almost ingrained this character is into his life and it again emulates um Michael Keaton's life in the way that he was only ever seen as Batman up until that point and i you kind of feel the irony in the way that like when people ask him oh what are you going to do the next birdman movie you could almost imagine people and critics asking him in interviews oh so Maybe when is the next bat or like when are Maybe you going to what do you like are you going to be batman but like what do you think of the new batman movies i feel yeah. like actors that play superheroes especially one like Batman that have had so many actors they always like the previous actors are always asked like what do you think of the new Batman because i think yeah. Christian Bale was recently asked you know what do you think of Robert Pattinson being the new Batman and you can tell that he's kind of just like i'm more than just Batman yeah, i've but I feel, done so many other movies <laughs> yeah because they kind of get typecast that's the same thing yeah, with um, yeah. Hugh Jackman you never really yeah. see him without seeing Wolverine or you never see um Chris 
Hemsworth without Spain. without saying Thor. Oh, but yeah. Hugh Jackman, uh, he is known but for one other movie, oh, mainly for one other movie. Which one? The Christopher Nolan movie that you really like. Oh, The Prestige. Yeah. Oh, how could I forget? I adore that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you that were talking about... That was not scripted whatsoever. That was definitely not a scripted segment. I'm genuinely surprised. Um, no, because... <laughs> Yay. <laughs> caught me off guard. Um, no, The Prestige is quite a good movie to bring up because it's similar in the way that... Um, the, these ma- magicians um, who, because magic is an art form to, you know, most people. <laughs> I know some people don't think it is. Um, Not as good yeah. as wrestling. Sorry? Not as good as wrestling. Oh, now there's some debate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, so magicians, they, they're trying to constantly reinvent their acts to get more, um, to get a bigger audience and to be the best one. And so Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman are in this movie together as competing magicians and they end up pulling all sorts of weird stuff to try and like make their um to like trademark their disappearing act sort of thing and i did not see you know the direction that that movie was going in it was very like sciencey kind of science fictiony towards the end shall i give it away shall i spoil it i feel like yeah i mean you don't need to give it away so guys uh basically the entire movie is told in the first opening sequence you see a tons of hats lying around yeah. So why are there tons of hats lying oh, around? Oh, foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. Okay. Another foreshadowing thing is uh, the whole Michael Caine incident where he's playing, uh, he's doing the magic trick with the canaries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Squash. Squash. Yeah. Squash the ah. bird. So, yeah. I haven't seen this movie in a while. Yeah, I need so to watch you can it watch the first uh, five, ten minutes. But I feel like to discuss any of these films, you kind of have to have go, to, go to, to the end. because, like, yeah. And again, spoiler alert, but it, basically in every film, they die. Yeah, <laughs> like they want to become the best, and in wanting to become the best, they destroy they make themselves. The ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, and they life. just um, push their bodies to the limit, push themselves to the limit to the point that like they can't do it anymore. And I feel like each director, Aronofsky, um, Inyiritu, Nolan, they all take their own approach to this. I think Nolan he cuts a lot more frequently, and when yeah. in terms of like the editing and so forth, it becomes a lot faster and it becomes a lot choppier with Inyiritu. He doesn't do. He does the exact opposite because we are. We have been observing him the entire time. He keeps a long shot and he keeps us just inside the psyche of the character. And then with Aronofsky, who is known for almost like his absurd ways of filming different scenes, almost a uh, documentary like. Yeah, in a, a very like gritty way, he just yeah, yeah. keeps it up close. And again, similar to Black Swan, keeps a close up. And we just see everything that the character is going through. And it's very interesting to compare how all three directors take their own approach with some extending it with others, um, making it faster to rise to the climax, despite the fact that, like, in the end, there isn't really any resolution, I don't think, in any of the movies. They just rise to the climax and just let you figure it out. Yeah, like the movie just cuts. Yeah. I mean, like, the only one that really does kind of end would probably be... I will, I'd probably say Birdman because he... The Prestige, maybe? Yeah, you kind yeah. of... Yeah, yeah, yeah there is Prestige, like, yeah. there's like a, um, like a victor out of the two yeah. competing yeah. magicians, I suppose. But I feel like if the only one that has a character that reflects on what's happened, even though he doesn't really reflect, is Birdman, mm. in the way that he tries to emulate his performance to the point that it becomes real life and he does cause harm to himself and he does damage himself. 
I mean, and uh, then, to be honest, we can't really know for sure. I think yeah. Birdman is probably the most ambiguous of the lot. Yeah, despite, ironically. Yeah, ironically, <laughs> it's the most ambiguous because uh, of the elements of magic realism spli- uh, sprinkled throughout the like movie. How, with all of the other ones, they try to leave it ambiguous by ending the movie. And then Birdman comes in and it has that final scene where you're like, oh, he actually survived. And he removed that essence of him in that way being typecast into a certain role by his action but also by how he's physically transformed into someone else but then the ending where he literally becomes Birdman and just we're not sure if he flies off or if he falls down but the way in which he um, removes himself from what his character was or embodies himself completely shows like how ironically ambiguous it is by not ending the movie where you would expect it I guess to end yeah true and uh, talking about uh, obsession with art I would like to bring in one real life example of it uh, Fitzcarraldo by uh, Werner Herzog yeah so uh, it features this uh, huge huge ship being dragged across a hill like just dragged across a hill and he refused to use special effects and had people actually drag it over the hill. Oh my god. Yeah, the, Why? The to mirror the scene, to make the scene look believable. Oh, jeez. Couldn't yeah. they just, like, there's, okay, there's practical effects, but can't you just shrink it down and just, oh, I guess not. And, no, you have oh, to. Apparently, like, tons of people got injured. Yeah. A lot I would of people be surprised. Died. It's dragging yeah. a whole lot of shit. But it was like, it was more, there's a documentary about it that's great. Um, I can't remember. My Best Fiend? Sorry? My Best Fiend? I don't think so, no. Is it? I no, think so. It's it's, uh, it's about uh, the Klaus relationship Kinski. between Klaus Klinski yeah, yeah, and Werner Herzog. That could be it. But, like, again, it's like you just see how they push themselves to the point where they just can't do anything anymore and it just eats into them as people. Wow. Really, you know, sacrificing but yeah, definitely, the name like, of your If you have the free oh time, gosh. watch um, Fitzcarraldo. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous film. Shot in... Brazil? It's South America, I'm pretty sure, but I'm not sure where specifically in South America. Uh, Somewhere in the Amazon, I think. Yeah. Somewhere in the Amazon. Which is uh, very topical at the moment, but that's Mm. besides the point because we're talking about films. Something interesting happened last night. The Emmys. So, uh, what was the best win and what was the worst win in your opinion? Best win, in my opinion, was the wins of everything to do with Phoebe Waller-Bridge because she is currently my favourite person in television. Killing oh. Eve, Fleabag, Fleabag winning of course, best um, or most outstanding comedy show, beating Barry, which I mean is a great show but not as no, good as Fleabag. Barry, <laughs> Barry is the best show out there. Okay, Bill Hader won though, Bill Hader won though, so yay. And yeah. Barry won last season, so last, you, know, you know. But I mean like Phoebe Waller-Bridge. They probably just felt bad for you guys. They didn't want Barry to win every season. So you're like, eh. Okay, we'll just give it to Bill Hader. Take the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Okay, I think that's a bit of a stretch considering (laughs) that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is genuinely one of the best writers at the moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like Killing Eve and Fleabag, but I just like Barry a uh, lot more. But one thing we can universally hate is... uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Oh, my God. God. Game of Thrones. Was it eighth season? Yeah, eighth season. Yeah. And now... It now won. it wins. It what? won. It won. I, I can't People believe it. It was the worst it. season. People hated it. It was the worst season ever. And they... Ugh. But to be fair, didn't it win like Peter Dinklage won Best Actor or something like that? 
Best Supporting Act. I mean, that one I can kind of understand. Yeah, he's, he's a good actor. But Outstanding Drama Series, no yeah. way. I mean, come on. There was Body Killing Eve. Was there, there was Killing Eve. There was Killing oh Eve, exactly. But I guess, better like, oh my in God. that way, you can also say, like, oh, yeah, but I guess, like, Phoebe, what enough. She won with Fleabag. You that can't shouldn't be, you know, that's that shouldn't be how it's but decided. That's oh, how you it know, usually is. Enough. The same thing happened with um, the Oscars as well. Like, um, Alfonso Cuaron <laughs> yeah. wasn't going to win with Roma because, because Roma won, won Best it. Foreign oh, Film and okay. won Best Cinematographer. And I guess also at the same time, like, with all of these festivals and everything, they want to start interacting with the people <laughs> and so forth. And they want to make their shows more popular as they become more and more relevant, even though... I, it's arguably, trash. arguably, that's not the case with the Emmys because I feel like the Emmys are always going to be relatively popular considering that they do deal with television. But yeah. hmm. they just almost pander to the the audience that they think they're going to scrape in, which I found was like almost disgusting. But then, speaking of one of the other best wins, Jodie Co- Jodie Coma as yeah. For Killing Eve. Um, Eve in Killing Eve, absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Love that woman with a passion. She is fiery, amazing. One of the best Russian accents that I've ever watched in a film. Yeah. And she just plays it off so well. She's crazy, insane. I was so happy with her win. And to be fair, like when you look at the other actors in the um, in the section with like Sandra O oh for Killing Eve again, um, then Viola Davis with How to Get Away with Murder, Amelia Clark, Robin Wright, Mandy Moore. And um, Laura Linney, it just was... There was no competition, really, in my opinion. She just smashed it out of the park. I think she won the BAFTA as well. Yeah, the BAFTA for um, Best Actress as well. So it was just destined, really. And I'm just excited to see what happens with the rest of her career. Yeah, Yeah. me too. So I guess uh, if we were to take anything out of today, what would you have taken out of it, Sandeep? Jesus, forgive me. I'm a thought. Jesus. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? So I guess that is uh, the podcast. Okay, that, uh, that was a, a new single by uh, JPEG Mafia from oh, his yeah. new album. Yeah. You, should, uh, you guys should check it out. JPEG Mafia. Brilliant okay. album. Uh, all he, all my heroes are cornballs. This That's, is us yeah. filling the music part of the movie and music show. Yeah. <laughs> and then yes. also um, there was the, if you have the free time, check out the slow tie performance at the Mercury Prize. Absolutely amazing. I use that word way too often, but it was a political statement and it was great to watch. But anyway, I guess that's the end of the movie and music podcast for this week. We hope you'll uh, tune in next week and uh, enjoy the rest of your weeks because we will be trying to enjoy ours. Yes, in spite of university. Bye. See you guys. See you guys.